This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, which you can get at BetRivers.com and Apple and Spotify and all your different pl- uh, podcast locations. Before we get to Bobby Valentine and before we get to some of your questions and comments, you know, hey, the fun continues. The Yankees rolling out to now an historic start at 22-8. and Anytime the Yankees have had a mark of this good, 22-8 and or better, after 30 games, this is the ninth time. The other eight times, they've gone to the World Series all eight. They've won the World Series seven of eight. Now, remember, in... in Six of those years, it was just, the, you know, win it and go right to the World Series. In the other years, 98, they turned around and won it. Obviously, they, it was the, one of the great years they've ever had. 2003 is when they opened with a better record. Uh, they were 23-7, and seven, and they lost to the Marlins in the World Series. Never should have lost that World Series. Absolutely never should have lost that World Series. But they did. Um, uh, and so they've been to the World Series all eight times. This is now the ninth time they've had a record this good after 30 games. So if you're thinking World Series, you got a good uh, harbinger of things to come after 30 games. The Mets, uh, again, the record's really good, although there are some things you still have to deal with. But the best thing to say is, hey, they have a great record and no DeGrom. So uh, there's things to – they are, some guys have got to pick it up, including Lindor and the catches. But right now they're doing very well. And you got – they cracked the 20 mark and wins. So uh, you got some top-heavy teams, as you would expect, the Dodgers being another, the Brewers being another, as expected. All those teams. The only team of the big teams that isn't off to the fastest start is the White Sox, and they've picked it up uh, and won eight of their last ten as they get ready to play the Yankees. Rangers win a game last night that maybe they wouldn't have. I don't think they would have won if Crosby hadn't gone out of the game. I don't think they would have won it. I really don't. Okay? Uh, I think that's fair to say because – he seemed to be controlling everything. And once he left, the Rangers were able to finally put some pressure on the goalie and put some traffic, get some good passes, get some, get some action in front of the net and, and show some energy in the offensive zone, which they had not shown at all. And I want to say it's the kid line or whatever, but with him leaving the game, next thing you know, they take a 3-2 lead. They gave up a goal again, which they've done the whole series. Every time they get ahead or, give a, or get a quick goal, it seems like the Penguins always come back and answer. But they got the shorthanded goal and then got the empty net if you needed that, you know. But whatever, the bottom line is now they get to go back, put a little pressure on the Penguins. The Penguins have been the superior team in the series. But if you can put pressure on that goalie, doesn't look like he's going to hold up, but you got to put pressure on him. And a couple of late things. One, we don't know about what's going to happen with the Penguin star. They're calling it an upper body injury. Does that mean concussion? Does that mean neck? They were yelling for Truba to be suspended or fined. It doesn't like, look like that's going to happen is the word this morning. So we'll see if the Rangers can somehow get it back. They're going to have to play a lot better than they've played in this series to get it back for Game 7. But, hey, especially if Crosby doesn't play, then maybe they got a chance to get it back here. It would be fun if they can do it. I like watching it, so I hope they can do that. I have to admit, the Rangers haven't been that good in this series. But last night they showed some life late, and that was a heck of a – that was a very entertaining game. As for the NBA, I told you the other day, hey, the Bucs, don't forget about Bobby Portis. Well, last night in the fourth quarter, they didn't. They inserted him in the game, and he winds up not only being a dominant force. I mean, 15 points, 14 rebounds in 28 minutes, seven offensive rebounds, including the offensive rebound that turned out to be the putback in the game winner. Holiday with his defense, the freak doing what he does, 
And the Bucks just stole one. That's my dog, Taylor. The Bucks just stole one from the Celtics last night. I mean, there have been some games stolen in the series. That's a crushing, crushing blow for the Celtics. And again, to me, Holiday's defense, excellent. Portis's play, you know, was just sensational. And they cannot ignore him. They need him, the Bucks do, because he makes a lot of big plays for them. Rebounds, big buckets, big offensive rebounds, makes big baskets. So he was a major factor. And then... I guess Golden State thinks they can just go home and push the button against Memphis. I, everyone talks about how Memphis plays so well without Morant. The numbers show that they do. There's no way around that. And it's not a couple of games. They have played really well without him this year. And last night, I mean, very early on, Golden State decided, we'll see you. We'll see you back on the uh, West Coast. I mean, a 55-point lead? You don't see too many playoff games or any games where a team has a 55-point lead in the game. I mean, Memphis could have scored 170 last night if they were motivated. And now we have a bunch of three twos. We got the Suns trying to close it out against Dallas. We got the, obviously, the Heat trying to close it out against the Sixers. And then, of course, Milwaukee and the Warriors looking to close out tomorrow night their games uh, sixes, and both will be favored to do that. Warriors will do it. I think the Celtics have a chance. Um, I would expect the Sixers to force a seventh game, and I think it's flip of a coin with the Suns. If the Suns do the things that they did well in game five, they can win in Dallas. I mean, their defense against the three was better. And Bridges' play was such a different level. And they need Bridges to be active offensively. He's always active defensively. And that was a very good performance uh, for him. And, the, you know, the second half was just abominable for Dallas in game number five, in games that, you know, just got away from the home team. I mean, from the road team. They just did the other night. Uh, so at least they've push those series along and we should have some interesting finals in, in both conferences. I still think Phoenix is a team to beat. I still think they will uh, win it, but they have not been as good as I thought they would be because there's nights where they get beat badly from three where they don't score a lot of threes and they do not defend the three well. And those games, they're going to lose. And there are just too many of those for what should be a dominant team. And they have not been that dominant team I thought they would be in the playoffs. They had been at times this year. They've had their moments in the playoffs, but I think the Suns can still get to a different level. And it would be about time for them to start to show that. They showed it a little bit second half the other night. They need to show it more consistently in these series. And if anything, that's what hasn't been there in these series is consistency. There's been some really... Games that go one way, then go the other way, really dramatically in these uh, series. But for the most part, interesting. Not overwhelming, but interesting. I've been into the range of series. I hope against hope. Do I think they'll win game six? I don't, but I, boy, would I love to see it. I really would love to see a game seven in this series. Now, Pittsburgh's got something to whine about. And, again, I don't know whether he's going to play or not with his history of head injuries and concussions and who knows if he's, how badly he's hurt here. I just don't know yet. We don't know. But with his history, I would be surprised to see him in game six, but we don't know that yet. We don't know. We are getting reports already that there will be no suspension or fine. And I didn't think there should be. So that seems to be fair. And the Rangers, who at least had that moment, they needed that moment because they had really been bad in this series. They've been puzzlingly bad. And I was shocked because people who know hockey were all telling me how great the Rangers set up to play well. I had friends telling me that they were going to go to the finals this year. And then, to me, they played terribly in the series until finally snapping out of it. They had a couple of good moments, the first period in game one, the period where they came back from 4-1 down, 
in in the other night in Pittsburgh and tied it up at 4-4. But otherwise, they had been dreadful. And they finally got something going. So we promise you some baseball with Bobby Valentine. That comes next. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at podcast at gmail.com. The Mike Francesa podcast uh, is brought to you on the uh, Bet Rivers Network as well as Apple and Spotify podcasts. You can bet at Bet Rivers in New York. And if you're listening in New Jersey or Connecticut, make your wages on play. Sugar House. Uh, we'll talk some baseball now with Bobby V, as we do each week. Bobby, welcome. How are you? Hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, Sugar House, indeed. Yeah, what's going on, man? All right. Look, you know, Bobby, uh, the Yankee start has kind of reached historic uh, numbers now. Uh, just to give you an example, this is the ninth time they've had a record this good after 30 games. Uh, they did it in 28, 39, 58, 98, 2003, and 2023, 32, and 50. And this year, they're 22 and 8. They've been 23 and 7 twice. They've been 24 and 6 three times. I bring it up because in every one of those times, the past eight, they have been to the World Series every year. They have won it in seven of the eight years. The only year they didn't win it was a 27-3 and three start in 2003. Now, in a lot of those years, there only was the World Series. There wasn't layers of playoffs, which there were obviously in 98, and there were in 2003. They will be this year. But a very good indicator that 30 games in, it has been a, a very good number for the Yankees historically. Oh, spectacular start. Uh, and the starts are over. You know, now you could look back and say, okay, the start's over. I have a really good idea what we have. And now you have to feel out the rest of the of the league. And the good news for the Yankees and the Mets and the Dodgers and the Angels, all teams that have similar records, uh, not quite as good as the Yankees, but, you know, 10 games over five after 30 games is pretty good for all of them. Um you know, that, that the other teams aren't very good. And there's going to be plenty of chance to fatten up and a real limited chance of going into sustained uh, losing streaks. No, the Yankees, early on, Rizzo carried them. Then Stanton had some big hits. Now it's been Judge and Gleyber Torres. Uh, and listen, everyone knew Judge would do it after the slow start, uh, the contract stuff. He's now, you know, jumped out and has 10 homers. The Yankees have a bunch of guys with a lot of homers. But now Torres has gotten some big hits. He's had game winners. He's had a lot of RBIs. He's looking a little bit like the Glaber Torres of a couple of years ago. And that Glaber Torres of a couple of years ago was one of the finest young hitters in baseball. Someone who saw the ball well, could use the whole field, had power, had two-strike hitting ability. And then, you know, his defense went uh, awry. Uh, and with his defense and his confidence in his defense when his went his offense, uh, it looks like now at second base he's comfortable. He makes all the plays. He's uh, not worrying about the defense. And the offense is, is getting back to that uh, all-star quality because he, he's a very good hitter. You know, Bobby, uh, the Yankees, there's a lot of things you can look at right now. They've gotten a lot of home runs. They have gotten some incredible bullpen pitching. They've gotten some surprising starting pitching from guys like Cortez. Uh, so you can see why it's there. The Mets are off to this start, and you look at it and say, no DeGrom. Yes, their starting pitching was sensational for a lot of the start, include, led by Scherzer, but also other guys, too. It was historic. But Lindor's slumped. Uh, Marte's had RBIs, but he hasn't been great. Their catches haven't hit. Other than Alonzo and McNeil for average, they haven't done much offensively, but here they are with a very good record, and they haven't even put the Grom on the mound yet. Yeah, it's been about the leadership of Max uh, Schurter and uh, their, their starting pitching. Uh, 
that's allowed a very good bullpen to do what they have to do and, and be rested. If you remember the Yankees, we talked earlier about Chapman's ability to stabilize the bullpen. You know, he's been spectacular, uh, even though he's been used very frequently, you know, whatever, eight appearances and eight saves or, seven, or 11 appearances and eight saves. Um, uh, he's fresh and he's holding them together. And Diaz over with the Mets is fresh. And their bullpen and their starting staff is uh, is really carrying them. Now, with a bad start last night uh, from uh, McGill that, uh, you know, gave him a three-run lead and then saw it evaporate within an inning, uh, sometimes that has a little bit of a domino. Sometimes... Um, you know, that becomes contagious and it's very important for the Mets to, to get a good start as soon as possible to get back on that, their winning ways. You know, Lindor got off fast, hit some home runs early. He is now mired in a couple of weeks slump. He's, he's hit 160 over his last 65 at bats. He struck out like 18 times, and you know what? Again, he's got himself mired where he's just not playing well. I'm sorry. Who who, who is that, Mike? Lindor. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know, as we said early in the season, the the, uh, jury's not back yet (laughs) on this uh, New York vintage um, uh, Lindor. He uh, has got to establish himself deep in the uh, minds of the fans there. Luckily, the winning uh, is is allowing them to look the other way. But I'll guarantee you, as soon as things uh, don't go well in the win column, uh, there's going to be a lot of attention uh, focused on Lindor and his ability to uh, be a cal- catalyst, if not the leader of that offense. You know, uh, Alonzo... Looks to me, Bobby, like he has matured as a hitter in that he's waiting on pitches. He's hitting the ball to all fields. Um, He's crushing the ball he should crush. Eight homers is, okay, not unbelievable, but it's good. But he's got 28 RBIs. He's had a lot of big hits. uh, And his batting average is up around 288, 287. Uh, Going the other way. He looks like he's maturing into a very good power hitter. Yeah, he's a, he's a home run hitter. You know, won won the home run derby, uh, led the league in home runs. Uh, he's a home run hitter who's becoming a hitter, uh, being a little more selective. And you know, the the analytics that the guys have today, the video um, uh, preparation that they can do today to see. Uh, what the other pitchers uh, are, are featuring. Uh, and I think Pete's taking advantage of, of all the information and becoming more selective and understanding the repertoire a pitcher has and throws the pitch, trying to eliminate some of the pitches that he might have to swing at. And I think um, if in a hitter's mind you can begin to uh, eliminate certain pitches so when they're uh, recognized, they're not offered at, you become obviously more selective. And when you become more selective with a swing like Pete Alonso's, uh, you could do a lot of damage. Did you like the McCann signing when they signed him? Because he has been a bad player for the Mets since he came here. Well, I didn't know him other than a highlight film. And, you know, when you see a highlight film, you're seeing a guy at his best. And I didn't think his best was really that good. Um, you know, and, the, and a player is usually somewhere between the best that you see and the worst that you see. And uh, it seems like, um, you know, the, the bottom uh, is dragging him uh, down. Uh, I don't see him necessarily uh, getting the points as a defensive receiver. Uh, and uh, he's going he's going to be a clog in their lineup, uh, even though, you know, this everyday stuff, Mike, it's unbelievable how often guys get days off these days. Amazing. And if you don't, I mean, it's it, it's really it's really amazing to me. Uh, 
Uh, Mike Trout hit two home runs the other night. He wasn't in the starting lineup yesterday. Amazing. He's the best player in baseball. I think it's it's really, really something. So, you know, to, to focus on one player and think that he might be uh, a problem in a lineup, unless it's an Aaron Judge, and unless it's, uh, you know, a Mike Trout that you're going to miss on a consistent basis, um, the, the lineups change so often that um, – you know, I think you, you can get contributions from a lot of guys. And I think the job of a manager today is to, um, you know, get multiple people involved in their in their scheme so that when that guy's getting that scheduled day off, which makes everyone scratch their head, um, you know, he, he's not uh, causing a void in, in the offense. You know, you were a guy who like to do a lot of that going back. I mean, with the Mets going back when you, I mean, you did that. I mean, you squeezed a lot and tried to put guys where you thought they fit and where you thought they do best. I mean, look at the outfield that you took to the world series in 2000. I mean, you got a lot out of the Benny Agbayani's of the world. (laughs) Thanks Mike. Yeah. Um, You know, that was all uh, kind of, the analytics, if you will, of, of my day, you know, the, the numbers that I would get, the intuition that I had, the information from my coaches and my players that I had, that I, I try to mix a lineup so that not only it was ready for uh, the starting pitcher, but it was also ready for the relief pitchers. Um, so that when, when I would pinch hit, uh, it would be my move, not the opposing move that I would have the last move uh, and, and give my team the best chance. And I think that's what a lot of lineups look like these days because these starting pitchers aren't hanging around very long. So you have to not only build a lineup around the guy who's uh, on the lineup card when it's handed to the umpire, but also around the bullpen that's available that day. And again, it's so much more predictable uh, as far as usage from the other team, because if a guy throws and pitches a certain amount of pitches, he almost automatically gets the next day off. Yeah, it's it, it drives me crazy, but I got you got to get used to it. It's just the way it is. You know, you mentioned the teams with the fast starts. The Angels are right there now. People have been waiting for the Angels for a long time. They've had to deal with the Trout injuries. The emergence, obviously, of Atani. Uh, they they have a lot of talent there. They have a lot of individual talent. The question I would have, and you're seeing them, you're doing some of their games. People might uh, do uh, know out on the West Coast. Bobby's doing Angel games. The question I have is, do they know as a team, Bobby, who they are yet? I mean, we know they have some prodigious individual talent, but they're well managed. Do they? have an idea yet who they are, or is it going to take them a while to figure out who they are? Well, it's going to take a little longer for them because they have uh, so many questions, question marks, you know, uh, Trout's back and Trout's back looks in, great. in a yeah. real way. Looks and, great. Uh, How about Rendon? When, when does Rendon emerge? Uh, pardon? When does Rendon return? Well, that's that's one of the questions. That's what they're waiting on. Uh, you know, he hit he hit a home run the other night, left-handed. Think about this for a second, Mike. That it's a blowout game. That uh, Tampa puts in the outfielder to pitch. Trout comes up and hits a home run. Otani comes up and hits a ball off the top of the fence. Rendon comes up with a ten-run lead, and that's left-handed really? for the first time ever. And he hit home run. Really? <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't even yes. realize that. He went up left-handed and hit a home run? He went, hey, listen, he, he used somebody else's helmet, and he went up, and he hit the ball over the fence. Now, the, the outfielder who was pitching just was like BP in it in there. But regardless, it was in a major league game. It went over a major league fence. And the next day, he comes up, and he's uh, right-handed, and he – so – He's a big question mark. You know, they have a guy named Taylor, the league and uh, uh, on base percentage. And, yeah. and I mean, he's a really good, good looking hitter, but they're not 
that hitter for the entire season. They have guys in the starting staff along with Noah Syndergaard, who's pitched very well, but they don't know if he could pitch the entire year as well as he's pitched. They have a guy named Lorenzen, who is a reliever. He's a starter. He's pitching well, so there's a question mark there. And, of course, uh, they have one left-hander in the bullpen, Mets Loop, who came over from the Mets, who's been one in baseball and been very good. But the question is, can he and the rest of that bullpen sustain a 162-game season? So they have the track record in a couple guys and a very big question mark in the rest of the team. So the answer is they're still believing uh, or building the belief system that what they have is going to last. Yeah, and, you know, there's some teams that have have some good young talent. Like Seattle's got some good young players, right? they got some good young pitchers. they got some good young you – know, we don't see the Seattle much anymore, but Seattle's got some good young players. Yes, Seattle, they have, they've had some – and uh, their young players are highly, highly touted. And, you know, a lot of that is on ability. It's not on track record. And until you establish yourself as a major league player, um, you're, you're really not being counted on. And, and uh, you're, not, you're not going to give the team what they need um, as far as confidence is concerned because – uh, there's always the doubt on whether or not you can continue to do it in, t- in an entire season. Uh, Houston's the team, you know, out they're in the West. Playing they're, well. they're playing well. They're right. Yeah, yeah. they're uh, half a game behind the Angels. And, you know, they're they're very good. There's nothing wrong with uh, Houston, as we mentioned before. Yep. The Pena kid at shortstop replaced, uh, you know, they, there's not a problem with the Houston team. But there is a problem with a lot of the other teams around the American League. No question. And the White Sox, who you knew would pick it up, uh, you know, they've won. They lost the crazy game the other night. Otherwise, they'd have a long winning streak. But they have won eight of their last ten as they get ready to play the Yankees. And the White Sox have plenty of power, and they have plenty of power pitching, too. Yeah, the White Sox are one of those uh, upper echelon teams that uh, you don't want to be playing now because uh, early on, nothing went their way. Uh, Every line drive was caught. Wind was blowing in when they were hitting home runs that uh, became outs. And, and uh, you know, now the weather's warming up a little, and that team's going to warm up, too. They're, they're very talented. You know, Yelich got a, had a, another cycle the other night. Now, I, you don't <laughs> think much about stuff like cycles. He's had three cycles in his career. First of all, you were a good offensive player. You didn't hit a whole bunch of home runs, and your career wasn't long enough. But did you ever hit for the cycle? Well, in the minor leagues, but not in the know, majors. Couple, in the majors, no, no not right? In the major leagues. It's, okay. No, it's it's quite the feat. It really is. Yeah. And now you know? you know the big guys. It's hard for them to get the triple. The other guys, they maybe a couple of guys. Maybe it's hard to get the homer. But I mean, he's had three of those. And there's <laughs> a guy you don't you know you think about him, but you don't think about him every day. I mean, he's a pretty impressive player when you think about it. Yelich, yeah, you know, he's you forget about him, but he's he can be a a, a very effective offensive player. Yeah, amazingly so that he went from being as good as anyone to being uh, just a someone, uh, kind of like Cody Bellinger with yep. the Dodgers, who was an MVP and then an eighth place hitter. Um, you know, you you wonder where it went with uh, with both of them, and when you see yellow chip for the cycle, you think maybe it's back. You know, you do you you wonder where it went. I mean, the guy was hitting forty homers, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And then, like right now, who knows? Maybe he's going to be on one of these tears again. You know, after you, after you see, but three cycles in a career. I don't know how many. I think they said six guys have actually uh, done that. Uh, you know, do you remember having a game? Can you remember any of your players getting a cycle off the top of your head? Is there one that sticks out for you? Because I, I, it's not something I can remember paying that much attention to through the years. But I'm sure I've seen a cycle in a game. But I can't remember one off the top of my head, to be honest with you. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm sure I've had them, uh, managed them. Uh, but I, I don't remember them. And I apologize that, uh, to that player or two or three who had them that I don't remember. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those freak things. It's it's not like four home runs, 
you know, which is an amazing thing. That is an uh, amazing thing. It is four yeah. home runs. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that is an, it's hard to fathom somebody hitting four. First of all, it's hard to imagine them getting pitched every time up, you know, in, in the game. But also, I mean, four home runs in a game is, a, and it's been done more than you think. Yeah, it has been done and uh, not recently, um, but only because of what you say, you know, before it's all over, they're going to make sure you don't get a pitch to hit. Um, but that's amazing. And then, you know, we had our second no-hitter of the season uh, two nights ago by a young left-handed pitcher with the Angels again, uh, throwing yep. a, close to it, you know, a perfect game. I mean, he had a, he had a five-pitch work and, uh, and an error by the first baseman. And other than that, uh, he was perfect throughout the game, and he was perfect with only two strikeouts, which is really, uh, you know, a, there's a little luck involved there, no doubt, but but it's uh, really a well-pitched game. 108 pitches, nine innings, see a guy start and finish, see a no-hitter uh, in his 11th start of his career, which is um, pretty impressive. You know, uh, I don't know if you've caught him when you've been out there, but I have to admit, after what I've seen in recent last couple of years, I'm very surprised. And I've been a big Kershaw fan my whole life. Uh, I, 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 I know how good he is, but I'm surprised he's been this good this year. I know he's not as durable as he needs to be. And he took a lot of grief for leaving that game. But the bottom line is uh, he, he's just not a nine inning pitcher anymore. And he's probably never been one, but he has, when he's pitched this year, he's pitched incredibly well. Well, you know, one of his big pitches, obviously is the curveball. He also has that interesting uh, motion that throws the timing off to the hitter. But uh, the curveball is, is an enigma to a lot of hitters these days. Uh, you know, when you have a go to uh, Reed Detmers who threw, who threw the no-hitter the other night, that was an outstanding curveball. And it just seems like right now, you know, the guys who can throw the curveball, throw it for a strike and also throw it, you know, when they're head in the count and bounce it a little, uh, seem to have an advantage on the hitters these days uh, because they're they're more geared for the uh, the slider and the cutter and the two seamer than they are for the pitch that's breaking down. Makes sense. You know what? Listen, let's be honest. I remember going back to watching Billy Martin, and you know this, uh, Bobby, Billy Martin didn't let any pitcher throw fastballs to sluggers. He, he, he would yank you out of the game if you didn't throw curveballs to guys like Eddie Murray or sluggers. He, cause, you know, he knew how tough it was to hit the curveball. He didn't want guys hitting fastballs, that's for sure. You know, but that seems to go – that seems now guys just think they can blow the fastball by everybody now. Well, you know, the guys who come out of the bullpen with the fastball are, are – pumping it up there's no doubt about that but you know on a whole um there's more breaking balls being thrown uh this year than i think ever i think it's up to over 60 percent of the pitches thrown are off speed pitches a non-fast ball that is interesting yeah and the counts that they throw them in um are are now the new way of of pitching you know the it used to be if you're behind an account you didn't have the guts unless you threw a fastball and, and you didn't belong on a major league mound because you didn't have enough of guts to throw the hitter a fastball. Well, those old fastball counts are, are 70% of the time breaking balls, um, three and one breaking balls and two and oh breaking balls. So, um, the counts that fastball hitters used to, uh, uh beef up on, um, they're, they're just not allowed to do that anymore. And interestingly enough, that fastball that's over 95 miles an hour is the pitch that's not getting hit. Um, and yet the, a lot of the guys who have it aren't throwing it often. It, it's kind of um, uh, to be studied, I guess. Huh? Well, I tell you, when I see those good closers who are fastball slider closers, they usually get beat on a bad slider more than get beat on a fastball. Oh yeah, yeah, and and guys are usually hunting the fastball, but they uh, they're there in time for the slider because there's not that much differential. A slider is the pitch that's supposed to break off of the plate, and when it breaks on the plate, it uh, kind of there. 
Well, listen, you know, one one thing in closing, you mentioned Trout, and we all know how important Trout's been to baseball, and then obviously the injury, and people have wondered whether he could make it all the way back. You've seen him now. You've seen him in person. No question he's all the way back, right? He's all the way back. He had a great start last year, and they got hurt, and he's having probably as good a start this year as he did last. He's off to a MVP-type season, and uh, you just got to keep him on the field. He's had these little nagging things that have kept him out of the lineup at times. And uh, when he's in the lineup, he's a difference maker, uh, no doubt. Thanks, Bobby. We'll chat next week. Enjoy your week uh, uh, with some baseball, and we'll talk to you again next week. That's Bobby Valentine. The Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network is also available on Apple and Spotify, wherever you can uh, find their podcasts. And you can bet at Bet Rivers in New York. And if you're listening in Jersey or Connecticut, make your bets on Play Sugar House. We're right back. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, as we've told you, we'll do some uh, podcast. On the podcast, we'll do some questions or comments if you send me some stuff just send it to mike francesa podcast at gmail.com this one is from tim sports has always been for me a release from the rest of life thanks to politics which are more visible i can even remember even the world of sports my release from life's complications etc i'm sure i'm not alone i find it very difficult to watch or follow how individuals like yourself have been able to navigate around this um the idea of being able to stay with sports all these years, you know, that? Um, there are times in the regular season, I think sports can get tedious for everybody. Okay. Let's be honest. There are games in the regular season for every sport, the NFL aside. Okay. Because we all, we know that there are no small games in the NFL, but otherwise no, in every sport, the sports are better in the postseason. They're more dramatic in the postseason. Look at hockey. I don't watch hockey at all in the regular season. I, I very rarely, I might go to a game, but I never really watch a game, sit down and watch a game. I'm busy watching other sports. And then in the regular, in the postseason, I love watching Stanley Cup hockey. I, I love watching, especially if there's a team I can root for. Like right now, I'm rooting for the Rangers. I was glued to that game last night. I've watched this whole series. I've also been puzzled by the range. How I had friends telling me. I had one guy, an NHL guy. I'm not telling you who it is that I played golf with last week, who swore to me that the Rangers were a stone lock against the Penguins in the series. That the Penguins had no chance. The Rangers were playing brilliantly. Their goaltender was unbelievable. I'm watching the Rangers in the series, saying, "Is he? What was he watching? I don't think the Rangers are that good." Well. You know, hopefully they're going to pick it up as, and we'll see what happens as that series turns. I'll have a little more on it in a minute, but. Uh, postseason sports are great. Regular season sports can get a little tedious. That's the way it is. And you just, you know, judge it that way. I've been a listener since, this is John. I've been a listener since I was about nine. Uh, my father's friend used to have you and Dog on in the car. I've heard that my whole life. I'm 41 now and have followed you ever since. What made your show unique was the Oscars, the Sopranos, and all that other stuff that we, you talked about. Uh, I was especially fascinated when you casually on your show from time to time talked about a book you read. Can we expect some of that on this show? Absolutely. I mean, listen, whatever we do, you know, I will tell you about. I'm reading a Harry Truman book right now that when I finish it, I'll tell you about it. I want to finish it first before I do. I just got a book from Bob Ryan, which is about box scores. Now, I love Bob Ryan. I don't know if he can get me hooked on this book about box scores. He's always scored every game his whole life. And that's what the book is about. I'll try. If it doesn't work, I might have Bob on and just talk some sports. But I don't know if this book will grab me or not. I have to wait and see. I just got a book uh, from Muggsy Bogues. We'll see if that interests me. If it does. See, I'll read the book first and then talk about it on the air. If I don't like the book, I won't even bring it up to you because I don't want to knock someone for writing a book. But I won't mention it. So you don't. that's why I don't mention that many books. I get a bunch of them. They all send them to me. And I might start them. And I might stay with it. Um, it. It's rare that a book will grab me that much. You know, even if it's written by someone. Uh, Feinstein used to do a good job with his books. Uh, you know, because you'd learn something in his books. He's a good reporter. You'd learn something in his books. So it's rare that you find a book that really grabs you. But if it does, I will definitely do it. But, you know, 
uh, from the standpoint of the uh, different shows and stuff, you know, if I had a good show to tell you about, I would, you know, I, I, I'm always looking for one. You know, my wife and I are always looking for something to watch together and it's hard to find. It really is. I mean, it's really hard to find something good. Uh, once in a while, there's a series that, that, that really takes off and you really, you know, like the Sopranos, but those are rare. They are very, very rare. I'm a lifelong Jets fan. This is from Steve. I'm a lifelong Jets fan, and I've heard you mention on more than one occasion that you are not a fan of the head coach. I was wondering if you could elaborate on what you are skeptical of. Okay. I'm not sure yet that he's just not another coordinator. Okay. I don't know Salah. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. It's a weird position for me now with some of these head coaches because very rarely did a head coach come through the ranks who I didn't know. And then when a guy became a head coach, I usually would talk to him or interview him or at least have some kind of relationship with him. It was very rare if I didn't. Okay, on my Sunday show, I used to do every coach in the old days and only got turned down by one or two guys who just didn't do it, like Marv Levy didn't do it. But, you know, I did almost every coach in those days. I don't know Salah. And what I've taken so far is I've sensed an immaturity in the staff. I have not been impressed from a distance. It's from a distance. I've never talked to him. I've never spoken to him. Like a lot of times I've had the head coach of these teams where if I wanted to talk about something I I was puzzled by, I'd call him up and ask him. I haven't done that with Salah. Because I'm not doing an everyday show and stuff like that. So I've never spoken to him. Like many times, I, I, I maintained a very close relationship with Mangini. Um, I've had a close relationship with a lot of the coaches that have come through during the years. My relationship with the Giants has been very strained in the Gettleman years. I don't know these new guys. And I'm not, I'm not sold on them either yet. I got to wait and see. I thought both teams, though, had really solid drafts, especially at the top end. I thought the Jets had a really good draft. And I like what they did this year, and I think they've added a lot of pieces to the puzzle for this coach. Now let's see how the coaching staff works. I sensed an immaturity in the coaching staff last year. I really did. Uh, Adam, I am curious, uh, do you think Brett Gardner's career as a Yankee or overall is over? And if so, where would you rank him on recent Yankees to wear pinstripes? Um, I think, listen, Gardner was never a great player, but he was the kind of player you liked having on your team. Did he ever fill that void? No. Was he Bernie Williams? Of course not. He wasn't a star, but he was a solid guy who you could get big at bats out of, who had a lot of big hits and had a lot of big moments with the team. And he was gritty. That's what he was. And you need gritty players. And I think that's what he was for his career. So I, I always appreciated Gaudy. He was a cut below a guy who you know, he was a cut below Bernie, a cut below Paul O'Neill as a player. But he was a solid guy that, that you like to have on your team. What are your thoughts conversely on Aaron Hicks? Um, as you know, I've never been a Hicks guy. A, way too injury prone. B, I've never thought of him as an everyday player. I think he's got inherent weaknesses offensively. He's a good defensive player. I think the Yankees were drawn to the fact that he was a good defensive player who brought a a pretty good on-base percentage because he walked and a little sneaky power, and they thought they could get something out of that with his versatility. You know what? I've never liked him as a player. I've got to be honest with you. Leaves me cold, always has, and this year he's never gotten a big hit. Uh, Colin from Long Beach, how much credit do you give Buck Showalter for the Mets' early season success? Um, I think what Buck brought to the team is stability, and with stability comes leadership. Nobody there questions for a second. A, any move Buck makes during a game, or B, any move he might make with the roster on a day-to-day basis. If he sits a guy, the guy might not like it, but he understands it. 
It comes with authority. It comes with experience. It comes with reasoning. Buck is in charge. He's handled the media brilliantly. You knew he would. He's made it very clear who the boss is, and the Mets needed that. They needed that in a big way. They needed someone who was in charge. Nobody was in charge last year. Let's be honest. They had guys who were not good guys on that team. And maybe Stroman wants to yell at somebody else, but let's be honest, him being gone is a good thing. I know he likes to go after people, but him being gone is a good thing. That's why he's gone, because the locker rooms are better. The clubhouse is a better place without him. Okay, And let's be honest, they had problems in that clubhouse last year. Everything wasn't copacetic in that clubhouse last year. Now Buck's going to be there, and he's going to be the boss. And that stuff's not going to go on. If it does go on, if there is a problem between two players, it's going to get solved. And I think you'll have other players who will play very much better baseball in that environment. I think that's what he brings. Listen, baseball managers can't magically turn bad teams into good teams. They can't make three good pitchers appear. They can't keep, you know, closes from imploding. They can't get a clutch hit in a big spot. But they can put the right people in the right places and let everyone know who the boss is. And I think that's what Buck does. Uh, Wanted to pick your mind. uh, What is your opinion uh, on never again going to come anywhere close to career records in major professional sports? In my mind, two that stand out in baseball. Cy Young's career wins and Ripken's consecutive game streak. Well, listen, there are a lot of longevity records now that will never be touched. The way baseball is played now, no one's ever going to do what Cal Ripken did or Lou Gehrig did ever again because they don't have people who play the whole season ever, no less play it years after years after years. So that's gone. Cy Young's win number is so far unobtainable, you're not even going to get 300-game winners. You can't get 300-game winners when pitchers are going to get 32 starts and pitch five innings. No one's going to win 20 games. It's going to be a rarity if somebody wins 20 games. You probably have a better chance winning 20 games out of the bullpen. And just like, you know, have a year where you vulture a lot of innings and you know, pick up a lot of cheap wins or come into a bunch of tie games. I mean, the starting pitcher's role has changed so dramatically. 3,000 hits, pretty much gone. 500 home runs, possible, possible, but pretty much gone. Uh, 300 wins, absolutely gone. Completely, completely gone. And again, I don't ever expect anybody to pitch three no-hitters in a row. So Johnny Vandermeer's record of two no-hitters, which is really almost mind-boggling when you think about it, is never going to get touched either. Uh, what do I think the Knicks need this offseason? They need some people to make better decisions. The Knicks had a little success last year, and then they turned around the roster and took away all the pieces that made a defensive-minded coach and a defensive tactician work. And they took away all the guys who made that work and then brought in a bunch of guys who didn't play defense and then expected it to work. It wasn't going to work. You got to give the guy the tools that fit his toolbox. Those players did not fit the toolbox for your head coach. It made no sense. And they just have to hope and pray that a good player falls on their lap because, you know what, it's very hard to get that player, the player. But the Nets got the player and they let him ruin the franchise. And he has. Hirsch in Valley Stream. Yeah, Hirsch. Do you think that uh, the Derby victory was a fluke due to the blazing hot pace? Or do you expect him to run a strong race in the Preakness? I will go down on two things, Hirsch. I think, A, the pace was suicidal. You will not get that again. The 20-horse field lends itself to a suicidal pace and to an incredibly tough way to run. And do not minimize what was an incredible ride by the jockey. 
His ride was off the charts good. He made the perfect move at the perfect moment at least three times in that race. When a jockey does it once in a race, it's really good. When he does it twice, it's off the charts. He did it three different times. This was a remarkable ride, one of the great rides I've ever seen by a jockey in a big race. That's how good it was. And the horse is a horse that I think is a very ordinary horse that can probably run all day, and he happened to be the only horse going forward in what was a very slow end of the race. The two horses that were up front had no excuse. They both hung. They completely hung. Uh, Epicenter should have won, and Zandon should have uh, been able to pick up the pieces if he didn't. But neither one of them was going forward with any any real velocity at the end of the race. And that's why the only horse really cooking was the winner. Now, he's going to be in the Preakness. You know that. And the Preakness field looks like it's coming together. Epicenter looks like he's going. Uh, the... Wood runner-up is going. Um, you're going to get two or three others from the Derby. That sounds like Smile Happy's going. Um, you got a couple of new shooters, as they always do, coming out of uh, winning races in Pimlico and a couple other places. Uh, do I think he'll win the Derby, uh, the Preakness? I do not. If I had a guess, I think he will be probably a closing fourth or fifth, if I had a guess. And then he'll probably take off the Belmont because you don't win the Belmont coming from way out of it. And that's what he would have to do. It's a very, that's not how you win the Belmont. You don't win the Belmont by sitting way off the pace and come charging late. You have to be in the, in the pace to win the Belmont. Uh, I don't think the Belmont plays for him. And let's be honest, there's been plenty of horses that have come up and upset the Derby that don't do anything ever again. This horse never has to do anything again. This horse had won one race. He had won a maiden 30 claimer. For that horse to only have done that and win the Derby is something you may never see again in your lifetime. That's how crazy it was. That horse deserved to be every bit of 80 to 1. It could have even been a bigger priced horse on its performance. That's how poor its performance was compared to classic Derby winners. And it wasn't a great derby field. I wish there had been one other horse there. I would like to see how he did, but, you know, that's the luck of the draw. Thanks for the uh, questions. Remember, send them to Mike Francesa podcast at uh, gmail.com, and we'll answer them every week uh, and send them along. Okay? Back after. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at podcast at gmail.com. Now, remember, next week, folks, you got some big events. We're going to have the Preakness. We also have the PGA. So we have the second major coming your way. They are in Texas this weekend. And then next weekend, the PGA. And Phil, as of right now, is going to play. Who knows where that winds up. But right now, it sounds like it. I mean, if he and Greg Norman can just shut up, I think he can get through the week. And it sounds like Tiger's going to play. So the PGA is going to be very interesting. We'll obviously do a lot on that and a lot on the Preakness and everything else that's going on. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.